something like 32 more days until springtime, which will be welcoming news for everybody as we're trying to just get through this winter, as we're trying to get through these lockdowns and stay-at-home orders. Today is a holiday here in Ontario and other parts of the country who uh, follow this holiday. It's called Family Day. Get to spend time with your family. If we haven't done uh, a lot of that already, being in these lockdowns and stay-at-home orders. So tonight, at 12.01 a.m., the lockdowns and stay-at-home orders will be lifted. Businesses will be opening up across Ontario as we move into these color-coded reopenings, as I mentioned yesterday on my show, if you had a chance to, to listen to that. Here in the City of London, we'll be opening up in the red color zone. Others will be in orange and yellow, green. The Toronto, Peel, and York regions, they will be reopening back up on the 22nd of February. So they will have another week of the stay-at-home orders and lockdowns. So I want to, uh, you know, address a couple things um, today. Um, one here in particular is, um, oops, sorry, wrong button. That's hilarious. Just wanted to close that off there, but anyways, that is just hilarious. There we go. That's better. Now my cursor won't hit any other things here. Um, 
you know, I had an episode. Uh, we talked about um, can the coronavirus be eradicated? Well, this um, article um, last night, I was looking at it and um, what if the COVID-19 never goes away? You know, this is just might be something that we just might have to live with. And um, hopefully with these vaccines um, rolling out, that this just may be something that, you know, we might have to get um, uh, be vaccinated, you know, once a year, um, or maybe once every couple of years. Now, these experts um, say that it's likely that some versions of the disease will linger for years. Good morning. How are you today? Thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Doug, from Ontario, Canada. So I was just mentioning, um, yeah, it'd be good evening for you from where you are in parts of the world. So I was just mentioning today, you know, today is a holiday here in Ontario, Canada, and other provinces across the country that uh, um, follow this holiday. It's family day today. So it's like, you know, it's not like we spent a lot of time with our families during these lockdowns and stay at home orders, um, which is uh, being lifted um, tonight at 12.01 a.m. That businesses across Ontario um, will be able to um, reopen and the stay at home order will be lifted. As we try to move forward, um, with these vaccines. Um, hopefully we don't have any more interruptions from Pfizer or Moderna and that we get these vaccines rolled out because we are running behind. But um, so I was mentioning that um, um, the experts um, say it's likely that some versions of this disease will linger for years. But what it will look like in the future is, is less clear. So will the coronavirus, which has already killed more than 2 million people worldwide, eventually be eliminated by a global vaccination campaign like smallpox? Will dangerous new variants evade vaccines? Or will the virus stick around for a long time, transforming into a mild annoyance like the common cold? Eventually, the virus known as SARS-CoV-2 will become yet another animal in the zoo, joining the many other infection diseases that humanity has learned to live with. 
This was predicted by Dr. T. Jacob John, who studies viruses and was at the helm of the India's efforts to tackle polio and HIV and AIDS. But no one knows for sure. The virus is evolving rapidly. Well, we have what, three new strains of this virus in 50 different countries. It's even here in North America. It's the three new uh, variants of, of, of this coronavirus is across all 10 provinces of Canada. Now, the risk of these new variants was underscored when Novavax Inc. found that the company's vaccine did not work as well against mutated versions, circling in the United Kingdom and South Africa. The more the virus spreads, experts say, the more likely it is that a new variant will become capable of eluding current test treatments and vaccines. But for now, scientists agree on the immediate priority. Vaccinate as many people as quickly as possible. The next step is less certain and depends largely on the strength of the immunity offered by vaccines and natural infections and how long in the last. Well, we know that with the flu that we have to you know, be vaccinated if you want to be once a year. And are people going to be frequently subject to repeat infections? Scientists say we don't have enough data yet to know. And like many researchers, he, be he believes chances are slim that the vaccines will confer lifelong immunity. If humans must learn to live with COVID-19, the nature of the coexistence depends not just on how long immunity lasts, but also how the virus evolves. It, will it mutate significantly each year? requiring annual shots, like the flu? Or will it pop up every few years? This question of what happens next attracted this individual. Jenny Levine is a virologist, and she is the co-author of a recent paper in the journal Science that projected a relatively optimistic scenario. After most people have been exposed to the virus, either through vaccinations or surviving the infection, the, the uh, pathogen will continue to circulate, but will most likely cause only a mild illness, like a routine cold. 
while immunity acquired from other coronaviruses, like those that cause the common cold, SARS or MERS, wanes over time. Symptoms upon reinfection tend to be milder than the first illness. Adults tend not to get very bad symptoms if they've already been exposed. Now the prediction in the science paper is based on analysis on analysts on, on of uh, how other coronaviruses have behaved over time, and assumes that SARS-CoV-2 will continue to evolve, but not quickly or radically, as it has been doing this past year all over the world. Now, the 1918 flu pandemic could offer clues about the course of COVID-19. That pathogen was an H1N1 virus with genes that originated in birds at the time, no, no, no vaccines were available. We know that the, the flu pandemic in 1918, um, for the time of the two-year period that had spread across the world, over 50 million people had died. No vaccines available in that era. The United States Center of Disease Control and Prevention estimates that a third of the world population became infected. That was 1918. Eventually, after infected people either died or developed immunity, the virus stopped spreading quickly. It later mutated into a less uh, um, virulent form, uh, which experts say continues to circulate seasonally. Well, we know we get the, the seasonal flu every single year since then. They say that very commonly, the descendants of flu pandemics become the milder seasonal uh, flu viruses we experienced for many years. It's not clear yet on how the future mutations of the SARS-CoV-2 will shape in the trajectory of the current disease. Now, even with, um, with more than 12 billion coronavirus vaccine shots uh, being made in 2021, rich countries have bought about 9 billion and many have options to buy more. This inequity is a threat since it will result in poorer countries having to wait longer for the vaccine, during which time the disease will continue to spread and kill people. Now, the future of the coronavirus may um, contrast with other highly contagious diseases that have been largely beaten by vaccines that provide lifelong immunity, such as measles. The spread of measles drops off after many people have been vaccinated. 
but the dynamic changes over time with new births. So outbreaks tend to come in cycles. Unlike measles, kids infected with COVID-19 don't always exhibit clear symptoms and could still transmit the disease to vulnerable adults. That means countries cannot let their guard down. And we can't let our, our guard down. What's it gonna be like in the post pandemic? That's to remain to be seen because we're in the middle of the pandemic and there's still even potentially the threat of a third wave with these new variants spreading around the world. And that's something that we wanna to try to avoid. And especially when, when uh, countries like Canada, United States, the United Kingdom, um, you know, are trying to, um, you know, come out of these lockdowns, come out of these stay-at-home orders, the, the uh, emergency orders. The effects that it has on every single one of us, mentally, physically, financially. You know, how many times you know, can we stay in lockdowns and stay at home orders? And thinking that the economy or the economies all over the world would 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 bounce back to to um, the pre-pandemic. Or, or how long would that take? Doctors, the top doctors in, in the infection and in, in disease control, um, they're really um, advising against lifting the stay-at-home orders in the lockdowns. Um, they feel that here in Canada and all across all the provinces and, and territories that we're not quite ready to be lifting these restrictions. What I think that people need, I think people need uh, more reassurance than negativity. But how do you give them reinsurance on, on a virus that just seems just to be uh, mutating? You know, in the past seven days, I think here just in Ontario, um, we recorded just over um, a little over a thousand cases of this virus. And uh, now that's down dramatically. Over the, over the holidays, over Christmas um, through January, on an average of seven days, we were seeing 4,000 cases. So it is dropping. Canada is trying to get back on track with its vaccines because of the, um, um, the Pfizer 
um, who uh, had to upgrade um, a facility in Europe in order to meet the demands of uh, what we needed here in Canada, and not just Canada, but other countries around the world. Now, I was watching the news last night, and um, you know, apparently what I got out of it is that you know, there's been 50 million people um, vaccinated um, in the United States. you know, with a population of about 348 million people. Now, if we had had 50 million people vaccinated here in Canada, we, we, we'd be done. We would have leftover. Because we only have a population of 37 million people. But these, these, um, slowdowns of the vaccine coming out, you know, has put Canada behind the eight ball and only now will we be, be playing catch up to where we should have been already with the vaccine. Now, People who want to be vaccinated, you know, I mean, it's always, you know, you have that choice, right? You have that choice to be vaccinated. And um, I just have to just look at something here real quick. Now, the survey was done here on Canadians. And um, most Canadians say they will get the COVID-19 vaccine if their employer makes it mandatory. Now, this was a poll done here. Now, half of the relatively few opposed said they would file an official com uh, complaint against their employer. And one quarter of them say they would look for a new job. Now, if your employer came to you and said, you have to be vaccinated, in order to continue working here. Now, if you said, no, I'm not gonna get vaccinated, I'm just gonna look for another job. But what if that other job requires the same thing? And so on and so forth. And why wouldn't you get vaccinated? Not only to protect yourself and your family and your loved ones, but your coworkers, the general public. 
you have an opportunity to get the vaccine here in Canada there's no money out of our pocket in order to get vaccinated Now, though most Canadians don't support mandatory vaccination, an overwhelming majority say they'll get the vaccine if their employer makes it necessary in order to keep their job. In total, now I was really surprised at this. In total, 80% of Canadians say they would agree to get vaccinated if their employer required them to do so. Well, they didn't ask me and I'm not that eight and I'm not in that 80%. I will get vaccinated when my turn comes. The impressively high number was was an, uh, an eye opener. Uh, for this uh, person, this place that does these polls. He was initially surprised at how many respondents were ready to accept such a corporate vaccine policy. That's because a poll he commissioned just one month previous showed that Canadians were, were uh, mostly cold to the idea of the federal government making a COVID-19 vaccine mandatory to all residents. In total, 40% thought it should be mandatory, whereas 55% wanted it to be voluntary. And right now it is voluntary. Do you want to get the vaccine? When your turn comes, get the vaccine. He says, what struck me was the distinctive between the existence, the extent in which the population feels that should be mandatory and the extent to which they're willing to submit uh, to getting vaccinated when their employer requires them to do so. Ultimately, he says it's likely because people understandably respond much more to potential consequences to their employment than mandatory government policy. We're talking about your livelihood. That's at the top of the list of priorities for most people. So your company comes along to you and say, we're implementing this in, our, in, in a new policy that all employees have to be vaccinated. What do you do? Do you agree with that policy or would you disagree with that policy? Now, despite the high number of Canadians who would get a vaccine if their employer required it, the remaining 20% um are quite on the opposite side of the spectrum of acceptance now my company said to me 
you know, in order to keep your employment, you have to get vaccinated. Well, I'm in a position that, you know, being a truck driver, I can go to other companies and maybe possibly that, you know, they're not saying it's mandatory to get vaccinated. Well, why, why would I do that? You know, it doesn't even make any sense to me that, you know, somebody, you know, would refuse, you know, to be vaccinated because the company said you had to be and, you know, tell them to shove their job and, you know, take that risk of going someplace else and potentially only finding out that, you know what, it is mandated there at those other companies that you have to be vaccinated. I'm surprised, I'm really surprised by that high percentage of Canadians. So now, the other part of this, um, uh, poll. I can get down to the bottom of my, of my list here. Now, can companies mandate that you get vaccinated? Can the COVID-19 vaccinations be mandated? The short answer is yes. Now this was uh, done by this, this author, Alison Braley. She is a um, assistant professor and she's a labor law at the Brock University. So the process of vaccinating Canadians against the COVID-19 has begun with the rise in vaccine hesitant, uh, being hesitant and many refusing even to wear masks. People are wondering whether COVID-19 vaccines could be mandatory. Now, it could in particular context. One is the workplace. So employer policies, another is through uh, legislation. However, neither, um, neither possibility is simple or straightforward. The workplace policy, employers have many reasons to consider mandatory vaccination. One reason is their legal duty to take every reasonable caution to create a safe working environment. While that duty compels some pandemic-related directives, there is a disagreement about whether a vaccination policy is among them. Either way, any substantial policy would be subject to certain considerations. The main consideration would likely be human rights 
which protects employees against discrimination on specific grounds. A mandatory vaccination policy has implications for those for whom a medical condition or religious belief makes vaccinations untangible. Now, there are people out there around the world that are totally against vaccines. You know, and for whatever beliefs, beliefs they have, You know, you can't, you know, you can't force people to do something they don't want to do. So whether it's uh, religion, beliefs, or, you know, or whatever it may be, or medical or uh, medical conditions, or you just simply don't believe in vaccines. While there is no absolute right to accommodations, employers have a significant duty to make efforts to find accommodation that is reasonably fits the circumstances and demonstrates medical need or sincere religious belief will accommodate to that point if undue hardship. Now what constitutes undue hardship depends on the facts, as does what form a reasonable accommodation could take. If an employee with a valid claim can work from home, an increasingly plausible pro prospect, a refusal to allow this as an accommodation could violate the human rights law. In other cases, a mask might be deemed sufficient accommodation. So if you don't want to get the vaccine at your workplace, then they'll say, well, you're going to have to wear a mask. Or the other accommodation is that, you know, if you're in that type of business where you can work from home and the company is fine with that, then there is another accommodation. With the legal concerns aside, accommodation specifically for those with a medical need just makes sense. That's because one argument for widespread vaccination is to achieve herd immunity that can protect those who aren't vaccinated. Importantly, applicable human rights law doesn't recognize all grounds upon which one might refuse vaccination. So the bigger question regards so-called conscientious refusal, such as concerns about vaccine safety and or the efficiency because such grounds are unprotected by the, by the relevant human rights legislation, they likely won't find much traction. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me this morning. So we're just going over some things here. Um, you know, with this poll, 
um, done here in, in Canada. Um, about being uh, vaccinated um, with, uh, uh, you know, within the workplace. Um, what can, uh, if it can be mandated in the workplace and or would you refuse or would you go look for another job? And this part here, um, can uh, COVID-19 vaccinations be mandated? And the uh, short answer is yes. Uh, so that part there was the workplace, workplace policies. Now, management rights and unionized workplaces. In unionized workplaces, employer policies are subject to further considerations, namely collective agreement language and the reasonableness test. There are many things they may render a policy unreasonable, such as whether the intrusion into employer's privacy by collecting personal health information is outweighed by the benefit of doing so. Now, you know, in, in unionized workplaces, you know, with their collective agreements and and all and so on and so forth, you know, like if you're working for Ford or GM or Chrysler, um, you know, the big manufacturings where you know, it's unionized and the company comes along and says, well, we're going to make it, you know, mandatory for you to have to be vaccinated and, uh, and to continue to work. My opinion is that the union boss would probably just blow up. You know, oh, that's not in our collective agreement. But why would anybody even argue it when so much is at stake? You know, so far, you know, the automotive industry you know, hasn't been shut down at any given time. Food processing plants and so on in that manufacturing sectors, but they've had outbreaks. So why, you know, would it make it different than for unionized work workplaces, you know, with their collective agreement? And why would anybody turn around and say, you're not going to get vaccinated to work here? 
unionized or not, wouldn't you think it's just common sense to get vaccinated? And if you don't want to get vaccinated, then just wear a mask. Maybe you won't get the common cold all the time. Potentially, you won't get the flu if you wear a mask all the time. I'm not saying you will or you won't. But certainly, the, the, the flu season, you know, this year alone has been dramatically low. I've only heard of a few cases of the flu across Canada. Everybody's wearing a mask. Everybody's social distancing. Everybody's sanitizing their hands like never before. A, mandar- uh, a mandatory COVID-19 testing policy for employees of a retirement home was recently upheld on the basis that the intrusion into privacy was justified despite the fact that other safety measures were already in place and no outbreaks had yet occurred. In arriving at this conclusion, the arbitrator noted that testing was uh, was invasive and imperfect but the consequences of an outbreak were more dire. Now working in a retirement home or a nursing home or the hospital. Should that be made mandatory that you have to have the vaccination? Now, because remember, You know, you're working with the most vulnerable people when you're working in a retirement home or a nursing home. You're working with people already who are in the hospital, despite COVID-19, who are already sick and are in hospital. You want to protect those people. Now, even though it's not mandatory, you know, hospitals, nursing homes, retirement homes, anybody who is working in the field, PSWs, personal support workers, you know, they're they're all going to be vaccinated. You know, and then we're going to move into other frontline workers, such as paramedics and the police and the fire department. You know, as we move through these different stages of being vaccinated. Now, laws could require vaccination. Mandating vaccination through laws is another possibility. Previously, attempts to do so have mostly, but not only, been concerned with admission to schools. 
Existing school entry vaccination laws, however, allow parents to easily obtain exemption. Vaccinations, in fact, is not actually mandatory for school admission. The most recent attempt to limit these exemptions to cases of, of medical needs was narrowly defeated earlier this year in New Brunswick. I mean, if you want to get your kids vaccinated, that's up to you. But the schools don't have to let your child in. I mean, do kids, kids still get chicken pox? Yeah, I think my grandchildren's had them. Yeah. Now, when I was growing up, I had the chicken pox. I had the measles. I had the mumps. So, you know, I've been vaccinated. I get the I get the flu shot. You know, regardless. You know, lacking the uh, lacking the political will to mandate vaccines, however, is not the same as lacking authority to do so. Should political should the political winds shift. Now the government of Canada could turn around and say that, you know, these vaccines for COVID-19 is mandatory. The Ontario Health Minister recently stated that people will receive proof of COVID-19 vaccination anticipating situations that will require documentations, including travel, Notably, in August, Transport Canada issued a directive requiring proof of medical exemptions before boarding a plane without a mask. Implicit to this directive is that non-medical reasons for mask refusals are unacceptable. You can't refuse somebody who's got a medical condition to wear a mask. You know, you can, you know, if they're if they're carrying around that that oxygen. Uh, container with the tubes going up the nose, obviously, you're not going to make them put a mask on. Now, being documented, you know, be given um, sort of like it would be like a little little, little card, um, you know, saying when, you know, you got your first shot and then you got your second shot and that you're fully vaccinated. And you will carry that card around with you. Any similar, any uh, uh, familiar uh, law allowing only medically uh, based exemptions from vaccinations for travel or school entry, for example, would be certainly. Uh, would certainly be challenged in the court under Canada Charters of Rights and Freedoms. 
a recent charter challenge to Newfoundland and Labrador's travel restrictions was unsuccessful, but other challenges to various lockdown measures um, are underway. Now, Newfoundland and Labrador back uh, in the last spring, um, they were able to um, prevent others coming into those provinces only for essential reasons that people could come and go. And you worked in Labrador, you worked in Newfoundland. Their case, their case counts are dramatically low. I think they, I think they have something uh, you know, under 200 cases of COVID in, Newf in, in, in Newfoundland and Labrador. Unlike provincial human right laws, the Charter protects matters of, of uh, of, uh, I'm sorry, of a uh, uh, conscience, but that doesn't mean a mandatory vaccination law is doomed to fail if challenged. A well-crafted law could be defended as proportional, all things considered. The charter itself allows for a balance between the rights of the individual and the interest of society. Pandemic consideration could tilt that balance in favor of a deference to government's decision making. People have a legal right to refuse medical treatment. But this right is not necessarily violated by denial of access to commercial spaces due to that refusal. So that means that I don't have to let you into my into my into my business. And we've seen that from time to time. You know, people who don't want to wear a mask going into a place of business. only to make a scene. And you can be re refuse service. You know, with that said, the pandemic is far from being the crisis that has us all pulling in the same direction has heightened. The society risk. In that context, the ongoing debate over whether mandates or persuasion is a better vehicle for increasing vaccination rates is taking on an increased urgency. 
So what do you make of that? Well, I mean, look, you can't go into a, a place of business without a mask on. So why should you be able to go into a place of business if you're not vaccinated? We have options. We have to draw a line, as this is saying, really, we have to draw a line, you know, in, in order to accommodate. So you don't want it, so you don't want to get vaccinated and you're gonna to go to work. Then wear a mask. Or if you're in the situation, like I said, you're able to work from home and the company allows that, it's gonna accommodate that, then you work from home. Because it's gonna be interesting in, the, in this post uh, pandemic, you know, with the office businesses, um, how many people are still gonna remain working from home? And will those corporations, will they need all those top 10 floors to accommodate her employees? You know, how much different is this world going to look in the post pandemic? But just bear in mind, I mean, countries all over the world have different laws. So whatever the case may be, you know, here in Canada, you know, they're, you know, not just the government, but, you know, places of business, whether you're going to the grocery store or the pharmacy, or to go in to pay for your gas at the variety store, you have to wear a mask. So, like it says, can the vaccines be mandated? The short answer is yes. So thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining me this morning, whether it's morning, afternoon, or evening for you. I thank you for taking the time to join me here on the Trucker Podcast. Now, I want to get those thank yous out there to all of our essential workers, our frontline workers, our doctors, our nurses our paramedics and our police and our fire department. I thank you for the job that you do day in and day out. And thank you, 
my listeners, ladies and gentlemen on my show this morning and my followers, I thank you for taking the time out of your day to join me here on the Trucker Podcast. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Truckers Podcast. I'm your host, Doug, from London, Ontario, Canada. Be safe out there, ladies and gentlemen. I will be back out on the weekend. Thank you.